Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. I am honored to present Dr. Sue Falsoni. She is a trainer. She is a PT. She is an author. She is an educator. She does all of the things. We had a, a absolutely fantastic conversation. I'm just going to jump right in like we always do. Without further ado, Dr. Sue Falsoni. I'm not going to try and like over talk and speed talk, which is what I tend to do. And um, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> really excited. So um, the what I wanted to touch on first is you were the first woman to be the head strength coach for four major sports organizations in America, right? So uh, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. Is that right? Um, the first female head athletic trainer. Okay. Yep. And so this is kind of a two-part question. So the first question I have is what was that like? Because, <laughs> you know, I've been coaching for a long time. I uh, coached uh, MMA and now I coach CrossFit. Um, you know, with the MMA side, you know, we have three to four months to get fighters ready for a event. And then, you know, CrossFit, we're kind of training for a couple competitions a year so like i said we have months and months to do that whereas these sports these guys are playing like once or twice a week right so how do you prepare them and then you know each athlete is different and learns things different and communicates different and so what was that must have been just i can't even imagine so uh give us a little bit of an idea of what that's like yeah, it was, um, you know, when I was in that role with baseball, um, it was really, it was definitely tough. I mean, baseball is every day's game day. It's 162 games in 183 days, and, you know, it's just every day's game day. And so it is really difficult to periodize and to plan when you're in season um, and to really ideally have everyone in peak performance when it really matters, which is playoffs, but you've got to get there first. So if you don't perform well throughout the season, then, you know, there is no playoffs. So it's um, right. baseball in and of itself is just a really generally challenging sport um, to to train for. I think people, you know, kind of make fun of it sometimes because it looks like all they do is stand around the field. <laughs> but right. it's really one of the harder sports to sort of periodize and plan for, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just optimization and recovery. And I think one of the things that I learned early on was not trying to do too much or change too much in season, right? I think that 
especially as a younger clinician or a younger strength coach, I think sometimes you want to walk into those scenarios and, you know, change the world. And really, you can change the world for the negative. And so you want to make sure that you are not introducing too many new things during the season, um, that you're really just sort of optimizing what guys are doing. You're really maximizing the recovery and regeneration processes. Um, sleep, nutrition, and really just supporting what they're doing on the field um, as opposed to making it about the weight room. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely definitely a challenge from that from that perspective. And, you know, I've worked in season in international soccer and in, in football and in basketball as well, and I think that all of those sports present a different challenge. Um, yeah when it comes to strength training and kind of preparing. Um, so, yeah, I think every sport just presents its unique challenge for sure. Right. And then with the baseball thing, like uh, Dr. Andrea Spina talked about in his functional range conditioning course, like we're unique in the fact that we could like throw things. So like throw spears or rocks or whatever we need to do to kill what we're eating. And what makes baseball so challenging is, you know, we're not engineered to throw things a thousand times in a row. You know, so then, you know, that's what really kind of opened my eyes when he started explaining that is baseball is really challenging because you're doing a natural movement an unnatural number of times, which then puts a lot of stress on that shoulder. And so, like, that's really what you guys are focusing on is keeping those guys recovered so they don't get injured, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I think he hits it now on the head. It's you're doing a pretty natural movement, but you're doing it so many times and you're doing it at, at a velocity that wasn't necessarily meant to do it that many times as well, right? So now you start to add in the velocity component too, and it's just super overwhelming. So right. really a lot of kinetic linking work and really teaching guys how to drive their power from the ground, which at the major league level, most of those guys know how to do that. But, um, you know, that's just something that you constantly work on is, the hand is just simply the vehicle that is holding and manipulating the ball, right? And so right. how someone's holding it with their fingers or, you know, determines where, where it's going to kind of go over the plate. But it's really that summation of force from the ground that's making the entire body go towards the plate. And, and you know, the fingers are just the thing that's are kind of fine-tuning that motion. And so really just working a lot on kinetic linking and, and total body power development versus, shoulder health. Shoulder health is important, don't get me wrong, but right. you know, most guys have a shoulder program, um, right. and really, guys need a total body force development and force production programs in order right. to really kind of have healthy shoulders, right? It starts it starts from the ground up. Right, which is where I kind of I learned that concept from uh, the DNS courses, and so that's kind of runs me right into a quote that I have from your book that I want to kind of have you unpack a little bit, which is uh, breath facilitates movement, movement facilitates breath, breath facilitates stability, and stability facilitates mobility. So that's kind of what that, that – I feel like that's a good segue into that quote. So if you could yeah. unpack that a little bit. Sure. So, you know, breath – can facilitate um, what's, what's the first sentence again? Breath, uh, breath facilitates movement. Yeah. Okay, so breath can facilitate movement. So if you just think about like as if, like as you're just sitting in your chair right now, if you take in a big, huge, deep breath, 
you sort of get like a, a bit of an opening on your anterior side of your body. And so you're getting a little bit of chest expansion and a little bit of thoracic extension. And then if you exhale all the air possible and you just keep exhaling, 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 you feel your body kind of drawing into itself. So you're creating almost like a flexion moment in your spine. And so as we breathe and we direct breath, if you think about um, putting your hand like on your right rib cage and you think about breathing into your right hand, you sort of create a left side bending and vice versa. So as we take breaths in, we can, or exhale, we can create different spinal movements. So breath can definitely enhance our mobility. And at the same time, our, our mobility can sort of change our breath. So again, if you sit up really, really tall in your chair and stick your chest out and then take a deep breath in, you're going to feel it on the inner aspect of your chest. Whereas if you get into like a child's pose or you get into a really slumped position into your chair and you take in a deep breath, it's going to go towards the posterior aspect of your spine. And if you side then over to the right and you take in a deep breath, you're going to fill the left side of your body with air and vice versa. So our movement um, can also facilitate breath. Like it goes both directions. Right. Um, and then what's the third part of that sentence? Uh, so this is the part where it um, alludes to what you were talking about earlier, where everything is essentially quarter extremity movement. And so it's not just them throwing the ball, it's them bracing and then driving and then generating torque through the shoulder and then throwing, which would be the breath facilitates stability. Right, absolutely. And so as we are sort of, um, I really utilize sort of expiratory reserve volume to help people engage their abdominals, uh, maintain a thoracic, uh, thoracolumbar neutral, um, because as people sort of exhale out their air, they'll start to contract their internal and external obliques, um, and they'll put their thoracolumbar spine in a more neutral position, and then they can have, ideally, then they still have the same upper extremity mobility, but our, our breath specifically our exhale and or our inhale or how, you know, Dr. Stuart McGill talks a lot about sort of that bracing. Um, as we're sort of bracing, we still should be able to breathe, but that, that kind of motion is going to help to facilitate our stability. And bottom line, we need some proximal stability for distal mobility, no doubt. Correct. And then the stability facilitates mobility, right? So that's uh, kind of along the same lines as DNS where um, – you're talking about the more um, stable a joint is, the more mobile it is, because the less stable it is, then the more the nervous system feels as though it has to protect it and then pulls that joint more proximal, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of times when you have a, a, a centrated joint, um, then the joint can withstand a lot of load, uh, which means then your muscles can withstand a lot of load and you technically can sort of do more. And so right. absolutely, kind of that concept of centration is, is really, really important um, when, it comes to, when it comes to movement. Perfect. So, you know, like I said earlier, I, we kind of just dove right into the fire because I have so many questions for you. Um, and if anybody that's listening wants to hear um, Sue's background story, the, the – um, Ready State podcast with Kelly Sturette and Juliet Sturette's amazing. And then you also did a podcast recently with a, a mutual friend, Dr. Perry Nicholson, on the Stop Chasing Pain podcast. Yeah. And so we can get a majority of your origin story from there. 
What I'm interested in is um, did you have any goals kind of going into this um, to, you know, be one of the head trainers or um, whatever you ended up being? Like right now you're just kind of doing so many different things. It's crazy. I can't even keep up. <laughs> so did you have goals for that or were you just, you know, putting your head down and grinding through stuff and then all of a sudden you look around and you're like, oh, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It definitely, I never had, if you would have told me, you know, 22 years ago how my career was going to turn out, I would have said you were crazy. It was never, never a personal goal to be a head athletic trainer of a, of a major sports team, let alone an iconic team like the LA Dodgers. It was, right. you know, never my dream to be the head athletic trainer for the U.S. men's national team. I mean, just some really incredible positions and, you know, being a part of athletes' performance, um, you know, which is now known as Exos, and just kind of having all of those major positions are I, I, are just things that I never could have even dreamed of, and I'm so grateful for them. Um, but yeah, they necessarily weren't my specific goals. I think when I left college and I left grad school, my main goal was to not choose the letters after my name. I didn't want something that I had to choose if I wanted to be an athletic trainer or a physical therapist or a strength coach. I wanted a position where I could be all three. And I think that that's really what Mark Verstegen provided me back in 2001 was an opportunity to, to really sort of be all three professions at the same time. And I think that opportunity led to some really amazing in-season opportunities with multiple organizations over the last um, really decade that um, – it's really, really incredible, and I'm I'm really, really grateful for them. And, you know, the position I'm in now, I'm doing a lot of consulting work and a little bit of everything, like you said, which is a nice place to be now, you know. It's, every day is a little bit different and um, doing a lot of traveling and seeing a lot of the world and doing a lot of speaking and a lot of consulting. So every day is a little bit different, which is, which is you know, that brings its challenges, but it's also, you know, really nice to just kind of, at that space right now so um yeah just super super insanely grateful for the the career i've had and, and sort of what's to come and so i think that what you said earlier about not being so attached to the letters before or after your name is really important right because that's how these opportunities you know uh just kind of come into your life is because you're not focused on just that one thing you're just like well i'm just going to do my thing which is uniquely me, and then just see whatever uh, opportunities present themselves. Yep, that's exactly right. And I think that that's sort of what I always wanted. You know, Don Chu is a huge mentor of mine, and I think he's one of the first people that I ever knew and that I ever met that was, you know, both um, a physical therapist and athletic trainer and then also really, really prominent in the strength and conditioning plyometric world. And so he was just a huge mentor to me to kind of have, um, someone to kind of look at and say, all right, I don't have to just be one of these things, right? So many of the opportunities that were presenting themselves to me back in, you know, the early, I don't know, I hate to say 1999, 2000, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that long ago were positions that, um, that, yeah, I, you know, just had to be a PT and I really couldn't use my athletic training certification or the strength and conditioning stuff, or I just had to be a personal trainer and I wasn't allowed to be a clinician. Um, and, you know, so it, it, Mark really provided me with a unique opportunity that I will forever be grateful for. Yeah, that's the Bruce Lee be like water thing, 
right? So yeah. if you're a PT at the moment, then you're a PT at the moment. If you're a trainer at the moment, then you're a trainer or mentor or whatever you happen to be on the moment. Um, so then that's interesting that – so I'm just kind of unpacking stuff in my head while you're talking. So, um, you know, CrossFit has this bell curve, and on the left is sickness, and then on the right is wellness. And so, you know, the more you work out, the better you eat, the the – more steps you take in a day, you know, I can include, you know, the more you walk barefoot, the more whatever, the closer you get to wellness. But I think once you start getting into the sport aspect, you know, like a, a lot of professional athletes and even like professional crossfitters, you tend to go past wellness and then start creeping back towards sickness. And this is a bell curve that um, the James Fitzgerald from OPEX kind of introduced to everybody and it makes a lot of sense to me but that is kind of like the the perfect example of what you do and essentially what I'm striving for in my business as well which is kind of keeping people teetering towards wellness whether they're you know just coming off the street and they've never moved their bodies before or they're a professional athlete and they've gone past wellness and are going back towards sickness. Interesting. Yeah, I I I think that is a great continuum of right. We're all sort of on that path of right. you know, and even day to day. Like there's some days where I'm like, man, that was a really healthy day, right? And there are other days right. where I'm like, ooh, that wasn't a very healthy day. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think even on our day to day path, it's sort of one of those things where um, it's a it's a constant challenge um, to sometimes make the right decisions to always be on a path to health, which seems crazy, right? Because you would think, well, who doesn't want to be healthy? Who wouldn't consciously make choices to be on a path to, to sickness or unwellness? Um, and yet, you know, we all make those choices all the time. So right. it's, um, yeah, hmm. it's it's an interesting dilemma. Right. And in, this, in a day and age where that we're in right now, where we're all just like super busy, especially if you're out there and you're going and chasing and doing all these different things, it's really easy to eat bad because that's that that's my biggest struggle personally is, you know, I just like that day you just described that was yesterday for me. I'm just like, well, we're just <laughs> jumping off the wagon here a little bit. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll catch up later. But it's uh so in the way that I explain nutrition to a lot of my clients is um, you need to eat healthy enough to where when you eat bad, you feel bad because yeah, your body right. gets, your body gets used to certain stimulus, right? So if you eat bad all the time, then you just feel bad all the time and then your body just assumes that that's the new regular, right? Absolutely. That's, a, so, that's a really, really good way to put it. Right. And so if you are eating healthy enough to where when you just go hard in the paint on pizza and you're just like, I don't feel very good, then you're on the right track. So that's, you know, I try not to complicate it too much because, you know, everybody eats different and everybody needs a different um, dietary path. And it's just, that's got to be one of the things that's like super complicated about those professional athletes too. Yeah. And I think that travel really um, comes into play, right? I mean, I live my life on the road. I'm, I'm on the right. road 42 weeks a year and, um, and I'm still not good at it. And I understand yeah. and I make a good conscious effort to eat healthy when I'm on the road. And um, I really make a lot of effort. But, man, I, you know, the weeks that I am home, you know, I'm home this week and, 
you know, I'm eating good and, you know, I went grocery shopping and I'm cooking for myself and it's just so much easier to do it when I'm home than when I'm on the road. But, you know, right. like athletes, when your life is on the road, I mean, three quarters of my life is not at home. So I have to have strategies for myself and for my clients um, that, you know, when we travel, you know, what what strategies are you going to use in order to in order to maintain like you said, kind of as good as you can be. And, and like you said, sometimes you go off the rails and then, you know, I kind of have a, a phrase my friends laugh at me because when I, if I kind of go off the rails for a couple of days and I just feel awful, you know, then I'm just, I just eat plants and water. That's all I have are yep. plants and water for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, just like, oh, flush all that stuff out. Plants yeah. and water for two days. I'm like, yeah, plants and water. <laughs> plants and water. Yeah, it's, you know, but like I said, it's easy to do. And, you know, my wife is a, a CV ICU nurse and, I'm working a lot, and I've been traveling a lot more, uh, just education courses all over the place. You know, I used to wait until um, they came to, like, the Arizona area, and after a while, I was like, no, I need all this stuff, and then I just – so now I'm just at the point where my wife says, if you take one more course, I swear to God, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I just this one, <laughs> and then I'm sorry, and then that's it, you know. And just one more, just one more. <laughs> I know. But there's just so many phenomenal people out there and, and so many different points of view. And I've touched on this a lot in my podcast, but, you know, there's like the, the PRIs and the DNS and now there's uh, the integrated kinetic neurology. And they're all the same concept but explained different ways. Absolutely. And so you pick up different things from each course. So that's, you know, one thing that I learned from uh, teaching boxing to people is that you have to have different ways to explain the same thing to people. You know, because, like, for some reason, the jab is one of the most complicated things I've ever taught anybody. And I'm just like, just stick your arm out, bring it back real fast. That's all you do. It's like, <laughs> but, you just, but they can't do it. And it's just, you know, they overcomplicate things. And, and so just trying to figure it out. And, you know, I run into this a lot in the CrossFit space where, I'll explain something, and then an athlete will be like, well, I've never heard that before. And I'm like, no, you just never heard it explained that way before. And so right. it's all in uh, the language that we use. For um, sure. For sure, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, man, traveling 42 weeks out of the year, that's bananas. See, so that's yeah. where, you know, listening to all the podcasts with you on there, I'm just like, wait, what does she do? She does, like, everything? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's definitely as for as great and as flexible as my life is right now. It's it's definitely one of the most challenging phases of my life too. I think sometimes yeah. think when you know people always think like, oh, if I work for myself, I'll have tons of freedom. And I feel like I work more now than I ever did when I worked for an organization or a team. So it's um, it you know, it, like I said, everything has its pros and cons and pluses and minuses, and and it's a great place to be. Um, but yeah, it's um. I need to reel it in in 2019. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I was thinking the same thing because I've just been, you know, super obsessed and consuming information and wanting to be as effective as I possibly can for my job to keep people out of pain and keep them doing what they do no matter what it is, whether it's being a mom or a crossfitter or whatever. And so, but I've been going to so many courses with so many different kind of variables in there that I need to, you know, take a year off and just kind of dial it in and figure out how to integrate everything. And so right. it's, uh, yeah, it's tough, but it's super fun because then you get to meet, like my favorite part is you get to meet like-minded people 
from all over the world. You know, I yeah. went to I went to that uh the FRC course uh down in Phoenix in April and some guy flew all the way from Scotland to just to take that course and I'm like, What? That's bananas. You yeah, know, like really cool. But when it's that important people just make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I'm going actually I go in two weeks to um to uh crew England, um which is right outside of Manchester to take some acupuncture courses. So I'll be doing that um in September and November. So yeah, I mean it's you know, when you want the knowledge and you know, you're willing to travel for it, you can meet some really cool people across the world and, and people that are like minded and not like minded and kind of see what people are doing throughout the world and I think, you know, education international education is something that's really, really important for me because I'd like to see what other people are doing throughout the world and um at the end yeah, I've got a lot of international travel coming up. Um, the rest of the year, and so I'm I'm excited to just kind of see what people are doing in 2018 and in Southeast Asia and in Europe and in the UK, and um, you know, kind of see what's going on. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. That's awesome. So that's you know, I equate this to jujitsu because I just that's how my brain works, and you know, I see people like you and Perry Nicholson, who I think are at the top of a cliff. Like you guys have just been climbing for a long time. But then you guys are still looking for stuff and still learning. Like, you know, like Perry, like you guys are constantly learning. And I think that that's really important for everybody to kind of understand is that it's, there's, you never stop. There's always some information out there that you need to know. Like, you know, the, the David S. Butlers are still studying the nervous system, even though they're right, on the lead, right. they're on the leading edge of the research on the nervous system. Right, right, absolutely. I think it's it's one of those things that the more, as I'm getting older and I'm getting more and more experience, I'm almost getting more frustrated because there's so much to learn and there's so many pieces to the puzzle. And I think when I was younger and didn't have as much experience, I had a little bit of blissful ignorance and thought, you know, like, okay, if I just understand this concept and apply it, then I'm good to go. And now I'm like, oh, but that concept has to align with this concept and has to be within this context and with this part. And there's so many different things that I'm like, the more I learn and the more I see, I'm like, oh, this is so, I don't know how I've ever gotten anybody any better. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's unbelievable to me. It's been a complete, like, luck of the draw that I've gotten anybody better up to this point in my career and how I'm going to get anybody else better moving forward is beyond me because there's just so many variables to think about. <laughs> right. And, you know, so just coming uh, from a massage therapy background, which is like the most basic of basic information, and then, you know, learning about how the nervous system interacts with the muscles and how that's, you know, that's rock tape's message right now is we're – Affecting the nervous system, not the muscles and not the fascia, because the nervous system controls all that, all that stuff. And right. So that's where they're looking. And then, you know, Perry Nicholson is, like, really into the, like, the lymphatic system right now and your gut health. And that's, you know, really important. And that's what he's hyper-focused on because that's what he used to get him better. And then, you know, the the DNS stuff is like, well, the, the core stability is king. And this is what's, you know, and then – so the reality is it's all the same thing. And I think that's what I uh, alluded to in the email that I sent you asking for the interview is that it's really important to realize that it's all the same thing. We're just trying to make humans better humans because we've gotten so far away from what 
the what we used to be that like we had to manufacture physical exertion and we had to manufacture all these different things and and so we need to treat it as the same thing so i don't look at it as like well you're a pt and a trainer i like i say it's the same thing it's all we're all just trying to make better people right right exactly but man the so i took uh um the primal movement change with perry and i had i was lucky enough to get a glimpse of all the books he has open on Kindle, and I'm like, holy shit, I need to step my game up right now. Like, that guy, he is a machine, and he's you constantly posting stuff, and he's, <laughs> uh, oh, my God. That yeah, guy, he is. He's great. Yeah, he's a wonderful human being, and that's, you know, I've met some of the most wonderful human beings on Earth. And so you were, you teach dry needling right now, and but you're taking this acupuncture course. Like, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, a lot of people would say that there isn't a difference between the two. Both are using the same tool. Um, but really, acupuncture um, is sort of the overlying umbrella of everything. It's, you know, the, the utilization of a fine filiform needle into the body. Um, traditional acupuncture is very rooted in Eastern medicine, um, whereas dry needling is really rooted more in a Western medicine philosophy. Um, so they look very similar from across the room, but um, point location and uh, reasoning and, um, um, you know, just philosophical, theoretical, and um, um, reasoning for its use are very different. So, yeah, um, yeah. so again, Traditional, traditional acupuncture is sort of the overlying umbrella that a lot of different things fall under, um, and dry needling is one very, very specific category that's really more in the Western medicine model. Right. And so in my eyes, the, the, the Eastern philosophies have been around for thousands and thousands of years, so they probably know some stuff. So we should pay attention yeah. to kind of what they're saying. And Absolutely. Then, you know, so I think that um, – it's a to have a good combination of the two is because the dry needling is more like point specific, right? Yeah, it's more muscle specific usually. Okay. Muscle, tendon, ligament, bone, fascial point, so perineural. It just sort of kind of depends on what you're doing. Um, but I would say, I mean, I personally see an acupuncturist um, for different health reasons, and um, you know would not necessarily, I don't have a condition right now where I would want to go get dry needling, but yet I go to acupuncture every week that I'm home um, for, for various reasons. So I think right. it really just depends on the issue that the person is dealing with and what type of philosophy they're looking for to help them um, based on a systemic or a local issue. Um, as a physical therapist, I utilize dry needling all the time from an orthopedic standpoint. Uh, but if I had a patient who had more of a systemic issue, I would not utilize dry needling with them. I would refer them to an acupuncturist every day. So right. for me, it's that's and I've worked side by side with acupuncturists, and it and it works very very well. 
Um, you know, I think that our tools overlap all the time. You know, Perry's a chiropractor. I'm a physical therapist. We both manipulate. I don't right. magically become a chiropractor just because I manipulate someone. Just like right. I don't magically become an acupuncturist just because I'm utilizing the same tool. So right. I think that our, our tools, people oftentimes confuse tools and philosophies um, and practitioners where, you know, and we all prescribe therapeutic exercise. So, you know, or we do soft tissue. I don't magically become a massage therapist because I'm doing um, soft tissue work on someone. So right. I think it's really important for people to differentiate between tools and philosophies um, and practitioners and how different practitioners utilize different tools. And I think a lot of people just want to feel better and perform better. And so I think you guys uh, had a really good conversation with this in the uh, Ready State podcast where you guys were just talking about how it all boils down to people just want to feel better and that's it. Like if they have low back pain and the chiropractor doesn't help or the PT doesn't help and the massage therapist doesn't help and the acupuncture helps, great. That's what they wanted. You know, so um, in my mind, the more toolbox, the more tools you have in the toolbox to help people, then the faster they get better. Instead of yeah. just being like, oh, I can't do that. I'm a massage therapist. I can't provide you with any kind of exercises to feel better because that's a PT job. Well, you should have some idea of how the human body works within movement. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I took uh, the FRC courses because, um, A, because I'm pretty burned out on CrossFit at the moment and I need to <laughs> learn new ways to, you know, move my body. I need a new movement practice. And this is also a movement practice that's very therapeutic for people because a lot of people just don't move their bodies. And so I think um, I think the end goal is what's important, not what you call yourself. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously we have to practice within our legal scope based on our right. education and based right. on our based on the letters after our names. But um yeah. but yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I talk about that in, in my book as well, you know, having an athlete centered or a patient centered model and sort of really opening your mind and, and um opening your referral system to a lot of different things um for the best interest of your patient. Um, you know, based on their patient's values. I think that's really important. I think mindset's really important, too. And I think, you know, uh, what you just said was incredibly important where it's a patient-centered, you know, practice. So, you know, like I've talked about before on previous podcasts is is sometimes people just come into me and they just need to blow off some stuff. They're just like, my life sucks and this is why. And then I'm like, okay, so this is your safe place where you can sit there and talk to me without judgment. And sometimes that's all people need is to just blow off a lot of steam and get that grill off their back without somebody judging them, being like, oh, well, you can't hate your job because that's how you make money. And if you hate your job, then you hate your life. You know what I mean? You just sit there and listen. And then, you know, so, um, geez, what was the other part? I just kind of went off on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, mindset. Yes. So um, I want to talk to you about mindset because you've worked with all these different um, professional athletes. And I think that that's incredibly important, especially I'm really diving deep into the epigenetics and a lot of that stuff right now. So Ooh, let's talk about a mindset word. a little epigenetics. bit. Epigenetics. Yeah. I like that word. Yep. Yeah, so, I think mindset is, is really important. I think I've, 
seen some really, really interesting examples of athletes who had different types of mindsets um, as they approach their game. And I think some are more successful strategies than others. Um, and I think that there's a couple things that sort of underlie sort of the most successful or what would be considered the most successful people at their sport. Um, you know, a couple different things. I think one discipline is a really interesting thing and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, but I would say discipline is a really sort of underlying part of really successful athletes' mindsets. Um, they don't really let much deter them from their goal, um, whatever that goal is. They have a lot of determination um, and a lot of focus. But at the same time, they have a lot of fun, too. Um, yeah. And I think that fun factor is really, really important because I've seen the guys that are so overtaken by focus and determination that they are no longer having fun and they are really losing a significant portion of their quality of life. Uh, and at the same time, I've seen guys who are just having so much fun that they've lost all focus and, and determination and really can't um, kind of get themselves on track because they're so distracted. So I think there's a very, very fine line between um, determination, focus, and fun um, and how people sort of wrap that up into a mindset of managing physical and emotional and spiritual stress and how people sort of um, – kind of manage that sort of that stress management is a really, really interesting thing as well, um, which I think comes into to mindset a bit as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things go into it for sure. So the stress management is all in the breathing, right? Because that's, you know, uh, Brian McKenzie, The Art of Breath, and um, uh, Wim Hof, you know, you can't be stressed out if you're breathing calmly. Right, so that they've been teaching that to like a lot of Navy SEALs and and special operators because you know out of all the people in the world, those are the people that are probably the most stressed out, you know. So, um, yeah. and uh, you know what I find interesting is that I think cigarette smokers have the perfect breathing practice, you know, obviously minus the cigarettes. So whenever they're stressed out or angry or <laughs> upset, they take five or ten minutes and go outside in the sun and take big, deep breaths for ten minutes. You know what I mean? You know and what? I, just... I never even looked at it that way, and you're <laughs> absolutely right. I mean, take away the cigarette and take, right. away, <laughs> take away the smoke, but you're absolutely right. right. They're like, when they get stressed, they go outside, they're in the sun, the rain, they're just in the elements, and they're right. just breathing. You're absolutely right. I never thought of it that way. That's brilliant. Yeah, so I've been, you know, I try to teach a, a, a lot of, you know, my – um, I call them office athletes, but, you know, the people that work in offices and are sitting in front of computers all day to do that at least once or once an hour or every two hours. Just take a breathing break. Go outside and breathe. And, yeah, that's great. Calm down. Yeah. And so um, mindset is because I, I, you know, listen to Joe Rogan's podcast and he talks to a lot of professional fighters. And it, it's really interesting because you – look at these people from an outside perspective and you're like, oh, my God, they're invincible. They could do anything. And then, you know, but then you listen to, like, George St. Pierre, who's arguably the, the greatest 175-pound fighter ever, and he's like, man, I freak out before fights. I freak out. And so how he corrects his mindset is he 
drives around Las Vegas or whatever the venue is and just pulls up to random places and just sits there and watches people like this that old lady who is loading her groceries in the back of her car could not give a shit if I'm champion when I leave here tonight. She doesn't even know who I am. You know what I mean? So then that's how he corrects his mindset to where it's not a big deal. I can go out there and I can have fun. You know what I mean? And and I think that that's just huge. And I try to teach that to just my normal everyday athletes. Like, you don't have to get your deadlift PR today. It's not a big deal. Like, if you can, if you haven't been sleeping well or you've had a lot of stress at work or you haven't been eating well or you're not adequately hydrated or your boss yelled at you today, you're probably not going to perform as well as you want to. So yeah. just do the best you can. And I think um, that's another thing I kind of want to talk to you about is uh, failure because I try to teach people that failure is not bad. It's just a thing. So, like, if you fail your deadlift, that the, all that happened is you failed your deadlift, and now you know how heavy you can lift today, and that's it. You know what yeah. I mean? Your, your husband's still going to love you. You're still going to have your job. You're still going to, you know, be the person that you are. And you just didn't deadlift as heavy as you thought you should have. It's no big deal. Right. And so I want to talk to you about failure and, you know, how often that's happened throughout your career and, you know, what the what your thoughts are on that. You know, it's it's funny you say that. I, I just had this conversation with someone not long ago. Um, I People like to, which is very kind, they like to talk about some of my accomplishments and the jobs that I've gotten and the things that I've done. Um, we could have a whole podcast about all the jobs I didn't get and right. all the things that um, have happened in my life that uh, have not gone well. Um, and I and so, yeah, I mean, I think everybody has failure, and I am certainly not uh, exempt from that. I mean, there's a lot of jobs I haven't gotten that I've gone for that I didn't get for, you know, various reasons. Um, there's been a lot of failure in my life overall, personally and professionally, and I think that um, those are always the things that make us stronger, and they're not necessarily the things that are super sexy or that people want to talk about. Um, but, you know, I, I always try to tell people, like, oh, gosh, yeah, I've had some great positions and some great opportunities in my life, but let's sit down for two hours and talk about all the things that haven't gone Right. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and those are, those are the things, right? Like you can't have light without darkness. And so, right. um, it, that's, that's what makes the light that much brighter. And so, you know, that's, that's just a, a way of life. I mean, going back to Eastern medicine, that's the yin and the yang. So, right. um, it's, it's always about contrast and, and that's, that's just how life is, whether it's personal or professional. Yeah. And it's just what I encourage is trying. You know, if somebody tells me they can't lift that, I'm like, cool, well, I think you can prove me wrong. Yeah. And then if they fail, at least they tried. You know, so, yeah. and and that's how, you know, when I uh, started my massage practice, I wanted to be independent. I didn't want to go work for anybody. And fortunately, uh, my wife was the breadwinner, and we could afford to live while I built this practice up. And I'm eternally grateful for that, but I feel there's a lot of people that are afraid to just, start or just try because of, you know, the fear of failure or the fear of judgment or, you know, that one time that their mom or their dad or their brother or their sister or their wife said that they couldn't do that, you know, and then they were afraid of failing. And so, you know, the reason why I started mixed martial arts in the first place was because I was afraid of conflict. And 
for some reason in my brain, the way that my weird brain works, if you go towards what you're afraid of and then learn everything about it, then it's not scary anymore. You know, like when you're a kid and you're like, there's a monster under the bed. Well, if you shine a flashlight under every square inch under your bed, you realize that there's not a monster under there. And then you know that because you explored all the options. And so, um, you know, then I did uh, one cage fight, got completely obliterated, but just, you know, that's one of the greatest successes of my life is because, you know, even though I lost that fight, that was me overcoming that fear. And so I think, uh, you know, you um, got the accomplishments that you've acquired because you just went full on into it and were just like, well, I'm going to try it and see what happens. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, there's definitely been disappointment. And But, you know, as I look back, it's, like if any one of those opportunities came through, my life would be totally different than what it is now. And so, you know, I just try to appreciate and and look at everything that has happened has put me right where I'm supposed to be right now. And so whether that was a success or a failure, it's it's put me right where I'm supposed to be. Right. So it's all about your outlook. Absolutely. So, you know, the message is just start. Just go for whatever it is. Um, Let's see. There was another one. Thing that I wanted you to unpack a little bit. Um, and so this is another quote from your book. It says, I wonder if this was not early evidence for the transmission of force via deep fascia as well as the neurological system. So let's talk about the transmission of force because I think that that's really interesting because uh, the majority of what I've been um, learning lately is that your muscles don't generate force, they react to the force. And so I want to talk about uh, force generation. Yeah, I I think that, um, I, you know, fascia is a really interesting topic right now. Um, I had the pleasure of speaking at um, one of the international um, fascial congresses last year at in Ulm, Germany, which was wonderful. Um, and I'm going to attend the international fascial congress this year in Berlin. Um, and there's so much research, there's so much stuff coming out right now about how this tissue is not only a pain generator, but a force transmitter as well. And so I think it's going to really sort of change and revolutionize, maybe not necessarily how we're training, but why we're training. Um, right. And we get the concepts of fascial, of fascial fitness and sort of the things that um, really help a healthy fascial system. Uh, it a lot of times has to do with things that look very, very plyometric-y. So, again, I don't think it's necessarily going to change how we're training, but why and how we prescribe things like plyometric training I think might be very, very different. Um, and as we look at sort of how um, – and, gosh, I'm taking these fascial manipulation classes right now, and, and they're um, – actually, I just took one a couple weeks ago. I have the second part in, in two more weeks. Um, and so it's really interesting as we're looking at how this fascia – is interwoven with the epimysium and how these things go into the tendon and how and, and how these things really transmit force. It's really less about muscle and it is more about um, fascial force transmission. And so I'm not saying that muscle is not important. It certainly is. I think muscle strength is insanely important. But I think that even within the concepts of muscle strength, that the fascial system is playing way more of a role than we think or that we even know or acknowledge right now. Um, And, again, it might be a bit theoretical, 
Um, it may not necessarily change how we're training, but it might change the why and it might change our prescription. So it's real, that's really, really interesting to me. It is. And so I just kind of had a little epiphany just listening to you talk and then reading that sentence over again. Um, so the Gary Gray approach to functional muscle function, are you familiar with that? No. Okay. So um, what he's talking about is the under the force of gravity and under um, the ground forces that are presented, your muscles tend to do the opposite of what the anatomy and physiology books tell you that they do. So for in, the easiest one is the quad. So the anatomy and physiology books tell you that the quad extends the knee. But what he's saying is that the quad's true purpose under the force of gravity is to resist knee flexion. And so if your nervous system and your fascia are creating and generating torque and force, then the purpose of your muscles are to slow that down, mm-hmm. which is just, I don't know. Tell me what you think about that because I just yeah. had that thought in my head, and I'm just like, wow, okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> so. absolutely. I think that um, I, I think that's an absolute true statement, and I think we have to stop um, – we have to stop kind of thinking about origin insertion and action because it, it is. It's dependent on is it a closed chain? Is it an open chain? Is it our, you know, is it an um, eccentric? Is it constant? You know, there's so many just different things and so many different right. variables. And, and things, you know, we have to learn things that way. I think that there's, you know, when you look at sort of the educational system, we have to learn things in a simplistic manner. Um, We have to learn that a muscle starts in one place, ends in another place, and it's innervated by one nerve, and it performs one action. If we, from a foundational level, tried to be teaching our students all of these sort of broader concepts, we would get lost. We wouldn't be graduating anyone new because it's too much. So we have to look at things in a really simplistic manner when we learn. The problem is, is that we continue to take that very, very, um, sophomoric view and carry it for the next two to three decades of our career. Right. And that's where the problem comes into play. It's not that what we teach or what we learn right out of the gate is wrong. It's that we have, sometimes people refuse to sort of advance that knowledge to a more, um, uh, a more, uh, in a, in a more application or, um, um, synthesized way. Right. And so there's been moments in my career where, you know, somebody says something to me and then I can feel my brain like literally restructuring around this new concept. And that was one of them. I listened to that podcast probably eight times in a row and then went to the Gray Institute website and started watching all these videos. And then he's talking about, you know, eccentric and concentric contractions, but then if you actually look at the quad as you're doing a squat, the proximal portion of your quad is flexed and the distal portion of your quad is extended. So that's an econcentric contraction. And so what the hell does that guy talk about? So, you know, there's just people that just, you know, look at stuff and they're like, mm, that's not right. And then they start studying the crap out of it and then learn everything there is to know about that. And then, make a course and then I get to take it and learn these concepts over the course of a couple of days where it took them, you know, decades to come up with that concept. So that's where I'm really grateful on my end is that, 
you know, I get to, I get to just, like I said earlier, you and like Perry Nicholson and all these other people, Michael Boyles and whoever, you guys are all at the very top of this cliff. And I'm like, oh my God, how did they get up there? But then I take a course and that course just yanks me a little bit higher up the cliff and then a little bit higher and a little bit higher. So then, you know, who knows where I'll be at in 10, 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's really, uh, really amazing. And then, you know, listening to, um, have you taken uh, Dr. Andrea Spadin's course yet? I have. I've taken his um, FRC class. Yeah. So the, his, um, his lecture on, well, it's all the same stuff, the bioflow lecture. That's like one of my favorite lectures ever, you know, because it, it all makes a whole lot of sense because, you know, like you said, we have to keep it simple and we have to do each individual muscle, but then it's all the same stuff and it's just thicker where you apply more force because that's where it needs to be thicker. And, you know, that, that's just, that, that guy's smart as all heck too, but he's, (laughs) he, well, he found, uh, he found his niche and went deep. You know what I mean? And so, And that's, uh, I think that's what a lot of people do. And I think that it's, I think it's dangerous to stick with one ideal because there's so much information out there. We live in this age of information where you can literally look up anything on your cell phone and take any course you want and just gather all this information and become your own unique service for people. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. All right. Well, I think I've taken up enough of your time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciated the conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and it was great to chat. And, um, yeah, look forward to chatting again soon. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, people can um, take a, a look at uh, my website, which is just com or structureandfunction.net, um, and then just look up my name on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cool. And from what you were saying, they're probably not going to find you in the United States anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, follow your, coming up. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah, follow your adventures on Instagram. I like it. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. I appreciate you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye.